going to find out that we're going to fall one day. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 142. Psalms 142. Mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. I'm going to be preaching on no man cared for my soul. And um, hope I can get this across. You know, God made man a living soul. We have in our being a living soul that can fellowship and connect to God. It's uh, pre-designed. And when the body dies, that soul lives eternally in heaven or hell. And so it's the most important thing that you're going to have to make decision over in your life. It's the most important thing that a church needs to be focused on in ministry. And there's a powerful passage of scripture here in Psalms 142 where David gives a scripture in verse number four. He said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And I'd like to preach a few thoughts out of this scripture this morning. Some of this will be, obviously, hopefully, if you're not saved today, if you don't know what it, if you don't know when you die you're gonna go to heaven, you can know that. Someone can show you in the scriptures how to admit you're a sinner, which you don't need nobody really to show you that. If you're in a conviction, you'll figure that out pretty quick. And believe and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and your life and save you. I know that sounds simple, but when you get to that place and realize you're the sinner and He's the Savior, well, there's not much left to do but believe in Him, call upon Him for salvation. And it is miraculous, it is spiritual. When your faith reaches out to the grace of God and you by faith make that contact, you become a child of God. You're born again. And there should be a change in your life. And there's a change that happened in my life when I was 19. So as one song said, I guess I was uh, there when it happened. So I guess I ought to know, amen, that it, the Lord changed my life. But I know that there's a lot of people who claim to be saved, claim to say that something happened in their life, but nothing seems to have happened in their life. So sometimes we wonder if God really did a spiritual work or not, but there's still a soul at stake. There's still a lot of, in this verse I'd like to bring out because there's some things I believe that will not only talk about a need of somebody being saved this morning, but it's gonna challenge you and I as Christians if you're part of a church. I wanna, I wanna challenge you as well. Notice in verse number four, he says, I looked on my right hand. This thought of the right hand is the, is, is the hand that is chiefly relied upon. And so as he's looking, there's no reliable place or person there. They're, they're not reliable. They're not there when they need them. And that's what that right hand means. Now, not everybody's right-handed, but if you're left-handed, you rely on that as a dominant hand. But for the most sake, spiritually in the Bible, that's what he's saying. I looked on my right hand. I looked to a place, my right-hand man, my right-hand place to go when I needed help. And I looked there, and he gives this scripture, and he said, I beheld, and there was no man that would know me. So this place uh, uh, that he looked to, that right-hand place, a place that he chiefly relied upon and leaned upon, I'll say this, 
That ought to be the church in our modern day. It ought to be a place that people can come to for some spiritual help. Now, as I already said last week, I think it was last week when I preached uh, on that message about he gets us. Understand that the Lord didn't come to die on the cross and give his life to leave you and I in the pig pen of sin. That's not what this was about. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to deliver us, to redeem us. All these spiritual words that we could use in the Bible. And some people look at the church as a social club or they look at it as some kind of organization, but it's more of an organism and it's based upon living people of all kind of different backgrounds and characteristics and things. And, and, uh, and if the church is what it's supposed to be like that, it ought to be something somebody could rely on and look to. I remember a story of my pastor and his wife at Galilee there and easily that church is on a hill. It's been in that community for over 50 years. And this young, young guy came there with his family for several years. Their family kind of just split all to pieces and he got into a lot of trouble, ended up in prison. And one day he made a phone call from prison because I guess you get opportunity to do that different times back then. And he called 859-1234 because that was the phone number at Galilee Baptist Church. Because Miss Gravely prayed for the easy phone number so anybody could remember it. And that boy remembered it and called and she answered the phone and he gave his name. He said, Miss Gravely, y'all still there on that hill? Are y'all still at that church? Does Preacher Gravely still preach? And all those things that he was chiefly looking to rely upon, he needed to know there was something there, some stability there. There was some still support there and strength there in his life. And she said, yes, he's still preaching. The church is still on the hill. And she sang to him and, and uh, ministered to him on that, on that phone. I'll tell you, listen, not everybody's looking to the church, but those who look to the church, they need to see Jesus in our life. They need to know that we care about them. And sometimes they're just, you know, people that you would think would be reliable and be there. They're not there anymore. And it's sad to be part of a church and to find out over the years, say, so-and-so still going there or so-and-so still, still serving the Lord. And you say, no, they, they got mad at God or got mad at the preacher. They got mad at the person sitting next to them or they, they got upset about something that happened or somebody that did something in the church. And, and I hate to even say these things from the pulpit for some of you that may not be saved and you don't know you know much about the church culture. But I tell you, the devil can get in the church culture just like he can any other kind of culture. And maybe you'll just appreciate that I'm not being hypocritical. I'm just saying that we need the Lord and we need to get our hearts right with the Lord and we need to focus that caring for souls needs to be the most important thing that we're out and about doing. Looking to God's people as a reliable place to maybe find something out about God, Amen. Maybe talk to somebody that says they go to church. Maybe they should know some scripture. That's convicting, isn't it? Preacher, you're stepping on my toes. Well, it might get worse. It might get worse. Preacher, I just can't memorize. Can you memorize John eleven thirty five? 35? Jesus wept. Could you do that? Start there with that one. Say, well, what good is that one? Well, you could tell them that Mary's brother died. And when she came to the feet of Jesus, she began to cry and Jesus wept with her. I think you can do something with that maybe if you will. Maybe the Lord opened up opportunity to share some things. So there's no reliable places, no reliable people. He looked on his right hand, a place that he thought he could go to for strength, support, stability, salvation. 
And I'm going to tell you, a lot of churches today, they do everything else under the sun but preach the gospel. And that ought to be the main thing always, that we preach the gospel. We preach the whole counsel of the word of God, which is not just the gospel, but it may be preaching and teaching and admonishing and applying scriptural truth to our life on how I'm supposed to live. You know, the Bible does teach some things about how I'm supposed to live my life, how I'm supposed to walk for him, how I'm supposed to work for him. But they look to the church, they look to God's people, and they don't see what the church is supposed to be. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is a living organism. A church is a group of people. Now, it's not the building and the sheetrock and the nails. The church is the people that gather here together. That's what makes a church, if it functions halfway at all, it's a miracle that we, we get anywhere down the road at all because everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got this, everybody's got that, everybody's got diff different personalities. And it's just a miracle on any given Sunday that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Somebody could get saved. Somebody could get some spiritual help. That's what it's all about. You know what puts all that together? Grace, grace, grace does that. Grace does that. The preacher, are you mad at somebody? No. I don't hope you're not mad at me. I hope you're not. Amen. But this, the church ought to be a place that's a reliable bedrock thing of truth. It should preach, promote truth. Truth is so relative today, people don't even know what truth is. Pilate was asking that 2,000 years ago. People are still questioning today what truth is. Jesus is truth. Now, I don't back down on that at all, amen? He's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to come unto the Father but by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, listen, that, you ought to be able to look to that. And, and, and if the Lord doesn't come back, and I, and I live to be 80 years old, like some of you that are wide open, 80-year-old people. I don't know if I'd still be able to preach. But if I did, I hope I'm still preaching Jesus saves I hope I'm still preaching the gospel, still preaching against sin, heaven sweet, hell hot. I hope I can still and I will still do that. You know why? Because truth is truth that endures to all generations. And if you desire to know the truth, you ought to be able to go to a church that preaches the truth and, be, and it be reliable to know that you get it. There's all kind of changes churches go through in a lot of ways, but you should never change into a, to a degree where truth is no longer offered. What has happened to a church when that which should be relied upon and looked to has changed so drastically that they're leaving out the gospel, leaving out the truth? I saw some, I think even Miss Joanne might have shared it on Facebook, but I saw this all, all, all places on Facebook. A little children's book was talking about Jesus. And in the context of this, in this, the actual written words, it was telling them that Jesus went to John the Baptist to get baptized, not to fulfill all righteousness, not to, to be an example to us, but that Jesus needed to be saved from his own sins. So, how, what did, so who died for him on the cross? That's not biblical. The Bible says he was sinless. He was righteous. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, but he never knew sin at all so that you and I could be made righteous and find our righteousness in Christ. And that's a children's book trying to teach people that Jesus, he had to get his sins washed away through baptism, which is wrong even then, doctrinally. I believe you don't, baptism doesn't wash away your sins. It's the blood of Jesus. It's faith in his blood calling upon his name. 
So church, if you believe those things are right and we have to hold those truths, then stay with this church or stay with a church that preaches those truths and make sure that that right hand, that reliable source, it's always going out through missions and through the pulpit and through the radio and through the community. Because people need to know they can count on truth coming from the church. Amen. They need that. Then he goes on to say, there was no man that would know me. No one would know me. So he's given the thought here that there's no reliable people, no reliable place, and now he's not recognized by other people. No man would know him. There's nothing worse than being shunned, being overlooked, being selected over. You ever, any of y'all ever remember playing sports or anything? It could have just been kickball. It could have been an outdoor something. And everybody that was faster, taller, stronger, better, 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 they got picked. And you got selected over. Anybody ever been last? We in an elite group. Jeremy, I don't believe you were last. You were fast and balling, shooting ball. I don't know if I believe that. Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe because he went to the NBA and they overlooked him. I don't know. But I've been last a lot. In my life. And it's not nice to feel that way. People shouldn't feel. Listen. I want people to get saved. I want to pro- promote and preach that Jesus can change their life. And you got to let God do the changing. You got to let him do it. Whatever he does and when he does it. You got to let God do that. You got to lead them through the scriptures to do that. But to make people feel that they are selected over. Or they get stressed out. Or we get stressed out and we get too busy or we get too burdened with our lives and we don't get to know people. I was talking to two different people yesterday of our crew, interesting conversations that connected to the thought of people not knowing people's names. Do you know there's some people in this church as small as we is that don't know each other's names? And they see each other every single Sunday. So preacher, I'm not good with names. Okay? You're not good with Bible verses. You're not good with names. I gave you the smallest Bible verse in the Bible. So I know you're going to work on that one. And now I'm asking you, can you look to your right hand or your left and find someone in your little world around your pew that you don't know their name and learn their name? I think that would be a good challenge for us. Amen. Now, I know it's my responsibility to try. I have tried to learn most people. We have some visitors that come once every two or three times, and I, I struggle with some of those, and, and most of them are forgiven to me, but uh, I am getting older. I understand that. But I can probably go through here and name almost everybody that's here. I even met Tristan today. I met him yesterday. I think that's right. Is that right? Where's he at? There he is. Okay, so I'm holding on to that one. I'll probably forget that maybe next week. I keep working on Gemma. I, I know another Gemma, and I keep telling people that they're my sister and my mom's name, and that's not their names at all. So I know I'm getting old. But surely you can rem- try to learn and, and find out somebody's name. It makes you feel there. It makes you feel you count when someone knows your name. I'm glad he knows my name. I'm glad spiritually as a believer, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He took time to write my name down spiritually to prove through all eternity that I am his and he is mine. I belong to him, that I'm a child of God. David said, no man would know me. There are people all across our, our town in Simpsonville 
homeless people around here, people riding and walking and all that, people in and out of stores, no one acknowledges them. No one ever knows them. They don't know nothing about them. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to do something dangerous. If God led you to talk to somebody, that'd be different. Gotta be careful. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are going to, they're going to breeze through communities like ours with 10, 15, 20 churches. There's some counties, Pickens County up there, 100-something Baptist churches. They're going to live and die in places like that, and no one ever knew them. I promise you, we're all going to stand before God with that. We are. Now, I've met some people in our community and picked up people and, and took them places and Got connected to some. I've had some. Boy, I mean, I just knew they was going to be here Sunday, and I haven't seen them in years. Never saw them ever. But I still gave them a ride, gave them a track, acknowledged them for that little moment. But to shun someone, select over someone, or to use excuses that I'm too busy, preacher, I'm too burdened down with life. Well, that finds that the devil's winning. He's, he's accomplishing his goal. He really is. Because we just don't know people. We don't know names. Try to learn somebody's name, somebody. And, and listen, you don't have to learn my name. Just call me preacher, pastor, that's fine. I'm asking you to learn somebody else. Some of you know we got some visitors. That have been, they've been, we'll call them frequent flyers. They've been visiting for a long time. May not have joined yet, but are, are, or they might one day, but they're, they're here. You, you should try to get to know people, to know them, connect to them. What they are like. Maybe what they're going through. People make prayer requests a lot of times on Wednesday nights, especially Sunday school here. Making prayer requests. There are names and people and problems behind all these lives. But when, it, when it's you, it matters. But it was when it's them, it just goes one ear and out the other. Well, can you relate to what David's saying that no man would know him? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 4, there will be a time in the last days that people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, we had a real good time going snow tubing yesterday and some people were invited to go. Have you invited those same people to come to church? That ought to be the next bridge, the next connection. It should be. I was talking to someone in the auto parts store the other day and we were talking a little bit and something I was trying to finagle and work on, and <laughs> I couldn't find what I wanted to buy at the store. We were talking a little bit, and I was going to use a decal to do something with and cover something up. And all they had was just these worldly slogans and all kinds of stuff, and none of it had nothing to do with church. I was going to try to cover something up on the bus. It's an old number on the bus. I was going to try to cover it up with something, and they didn't have it. I said, man, I wish you had a Jesus Saves bumper sticker about that big. And, and he let me said, yeah, what you do? <laughs> There's ways to connect and then talk to people and invite people. People feel many times they live this life and they're not acknowledged. You ever see a family eating at a restaurant? I've seen this a lot. Husband's doing this. Wife's doing this. Kids are on the tablet, and no one acknowledges each other. And we wonder why our families are falling all to pieces and why there's so much problems and chaos. There's no connection. There's no acknowledgement. 
And yeah, it'd be World War III, you take them away from them. Give me that. Yeah, give me that. No. I'm talking about the parents. Oh, y'all thought I was talking about the kids, didn't you? We got to disconnect so that we can reconnect. People are disconnected. He talked about, he said, I looked for a place of refuge and that refuge failed me. Going to church, going to God's people. I was going to go there for a place of refuge, a place of hope, a place of help. Maybe just to maybe clear my mind a little bit from all that's going on in the world and, and see what this is all supposed to be about here. And the sermon in the song and the sermon in the Sunday school, the sermon that is preached behind the pulpit, if it doesn't correlate, connect together, if it's not an image of the sermon of the lives of the people, we are killing ourselves. We're going backwards all the time. Because out on the streets and out at the school and where people work in our neighborhoods, that's where they should see the Christian family, the Christian people. It seems like people are looking for a refuge. This world seems to be cold, turning their back on people. Everybody seems to be lonely and overlooked, and the church shouldn't be that way. I had a neighbor where we used to live, and I used to live with my mom and dad. I got saved when I was 19, and I was at Galilee. I drove about 15, 20 miles, I guess it was, to Galilee from where we were. And I went to some of my neighbors inviting them to church. And I remember inviting one of our neighbors. I used to cut grass for her. And I'll get to this point in a minute. You know, a lot of people are worried about more about winning souls and winning souls and winning souls. But they're not worried about sowing the seed. Sowing seed takes time. A long time. And that's how you win a soul. That's my opinion. But she said, as I talked to her and invited her to church, cutting grass, just connecting with her, things like that. And I asked her about coming to church. She said, I don't go to church anymore. I went to the church up the street here. I got out of my car right next to somebody else getting out of their car. They never spoke to me. I walked in that church. They never spoke to me. No one even spoke to me, acknowledged me. The preacher preached a sermon. Everyone dismissed. And he said, I got in my car. And no one at that church ever, ever spoke to me. And that lady probably died and went to hell because of that was the last image she had of what Christianity and church was. Now, I'm not telling you when you get out over here and you see somebody getting out of her car here, you run across the grass. I'm not saying do that. But wouldn't it be better for them to feel that and to feel like they didn't even acknowledge and to feel like that no one cared and feel like going to church didn't matter anymore and people were so disconnected and, and oh, people need Jesus and people need that but it, 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 it seems like it's just robotic. It just seems like it's methodology. It doesn't seem like it's real. There's a relationship and there's true a worship and fellowship there. Now, if you're not saved, you can't have the fellowship with the family of the believers or the fellowship with the Lord, but you can have a relationship, a connection, a friendship with people who are trying to reach out to you. And I've said this before, please be careful thinking I've got to come off the position of truth, not saying you're hiring anybody, I'm just saying truth is higher than lie. So I'm going to come off the position of truth and I'm going to come out here where you are. no. Keep on inviting them and loving them and say, this is where you find peace and joy and happiness. This is where grace is. This is where mercy is. At the cross, where the truth is preached. Invite them to that because that's the only hope they're going to have. That's where the true refuge is. 
And so as he looks for refuge, there's no refuge. There's no place to go. I know we live in a different culture today, but I remember growing up at my home church at Galilee. My preacher was kind of weird. He lived right next to the church, and he left the church door open, never locked it. And for years and years, some people would just come in there and pray, and they'd leave, finding refuge. Eventually, they had some things stolen. Enough times it was stolen, they had to start locking the doors. That's sad. That's sad. But you know, you could pull up into a parking lot of a church looking for maybe a little bit of refuge, even if no one is around here doing anything and you meet no people. This place should have the Spirit of God abiding on it. People should feel God's power. And if we were praying and close to God enough, and if God is as big as we say he is, could he not lead someone here and then lead you over here? I know many times I've been here, people come by, and I know, I mean, that was just God because I was getting ready to go somewhere else or getting ready to leave or decided I might not even come here at this time today, and I came, and there they were. I've met people here laying in the grass. I've met people here just sitting on the porch, people on the side of the building sitting in the shade. I don't want to scare you. I met one guy in here one time in the building because somebody left the door open. He scared me a little. But I come in like I got a gun and like I'm going to kill somebody even though I ain't got nothing but a rubber band or something. I, I just come in. I come in the door. What in the world are you doing in here? And he said, you're going to shoot me? I said, not yet. I didn't even have a gun with me. That might be a little biblical crazy boldness I have sometimes. But And then I got him to come back outside and I asked him what he was doing here and come to find out he used to come here years ago. You know what he was looking for? Refuge. I, I looked back and I said, like, who in the world left the door open? Well, it might have been me, I don't know. But I got to thinking, God left that door open. Not, not my, my, I wasn't have called that one. And I asked him what he was doing. He told me what he was doing. Him and his wife were divorced and all the things he was going through. And he said he parked on the, uh, down at Walmart and just walked, get walking, and he just went walking here at the church. He said, I found the door open, so I thought I'd go on in. He, like I said, he liked to scare me to death. He's in the dark in that little tool room in there, organizing our tool room. I, don't, I can't even explain some of the weird stuff that happens here. He was in there cleaning up our tool room, putting trash away. And I could write a book, probably. No one would read it or believe it, but anyhow, maybe write one. So I got to talking to him and he said he knew he was saved but man, he needed to get some things right. We were talking a little bit. And I, I don't know how, what all happened in, later on in his life but I, I got him in the truck and drove him back there and sure enough, there his car was and I talked to him a little bit more and I prayed with him, gave him a track again and he got in his car and went back where he lived. If God is real and we claim we know him really in our heart and our life, there should be a refuge and we should be a part of that, that squad wanting to try to pull people from the fire, trying to be a witness and a light to them. 
to let, acknowledge that they're here, that they, they matter, that they exist. The world wants to say, you be whatever you want to be, no matter what that Bible says. You can cut it off. You can tape it on you, whatever you want to do. But God don't matter because he just loves you like you are. He came to seek, save the sinner, save the sinner, change their life, to make you and conform you, not to preach a Brian's image, but to his image, to Christ's image. A spiritual transformation. Changing you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son to the kingdom of light. That's what he come to do. And I want to be a part of that refuge squad. People need the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about people think, oh, it's cold at that church. That, cold, that church is so dry. Such a hypocrite's there. What can you do about stuff like that? Well, try to be warm if you're cold. What is that? We're not, we know you're not talking about the thermometer. Everybody fusses about the temperature in the church. But it's too hot. It's too cold. Talking about the spiritual cold. It's like, oh, they're a sinner. Well, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner with a last name saved by grace now. His blood, his blood was shed for my sins. I know he died to forgive me of my sins and that's why I'm a child of God. But I don't want to, listen, I don't want to dwell on the past and relish over it and celebrate it, but I don't want to ever forget where God brought me from. I don't want to ever forget that. I know where I could be. You just don't know. You just have no idea. And I'm so glad that Galilee was a refuge and Preacher Gravely was a refuge and that church loved on my family. And when my dad had a bad accident and got all beat up and tore a car all to pieces and we, you know, we, we were poor. We didn't have much. Mom worked at the cotton, the, the cotton mill kind of place, the sewing place, sewing factory. And he couldn't work. And that church came and brought us groceries. I've told you the story over and over again. You know why that story's still in my heart? Because I'll never forget it as long as I live. What those groceries did and those men that reached out we want to do a lot of spiritualizing. Well, pray for the sinner and pray for those people. Pray. How about putting some wheels on your prayers? You don't have to pray. You go take them some groceries. You don't have to pray about that. Why you got to pray about that? Does your belly growl when you get hungry? So does theirs. Jesus reached out to the physical realm before he ever addressed the spiritual. You look at it over and over and over and over. He made them whole, he healed them, and then he said, go and sin no more. We talked about the sin situation. Many called him master, many believed on him as Messiah and trusted in him. And you and I look back at Calvary knowing what he did on the cross and knowing that even he was a, arose from the grave and the resurrection and ascended back to heaven. We know so many things that could be a refuge to them. We can be warm if a person's hypocritical and deceptive, what is the countermeasure to that? Be truthful. Be real. If you lied to them, you cussed them out, you messed up, you get right with God and make it right with them. That will heal all this hypocrisy connected to the church. That'll heal it or help it. Man, we need to be real. I don't want to be fake. I mean, that, that's, there's going to be an air of fakeness that always creeps up on us sometimes, no matter what we do. But we've got to shake it off. Got to push it to the side. 
Then he closes out this part. He said, no man cared for my soul. So I look at, there's no reliable places or people. He's not recognized by people. There's no refuge from God's people. He looked on his right hand. No man would know him. Refuge failed him. No man cared for his soul. There was no response. Can you tell you how many times I preach generically and the people of God, there's no response. Can't get people to move spiritually anymore. No wonder it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for Capernaum and people like that who had so much light, so much truth, had Jesus actually doing miracles there. Can you imagine places like America where the gospel is spread all across the world and yet we just ignore it all the time. No response. No wonder if the, the lack of response from God's people is part of the problem why there's lack of response from the lost person who, don't know, who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. That might be part of the problem. We don't care if they come to church. We don't care if we come to church. We don't care if we're late. We get there whenever or whatever or however. I remember my home church growing up. There was this guy. He was just wide open all the time. He had very, come across very spiritual, you know, very Christian-like. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. He'd hand out tracts. He'd praise the Lord. And I'm not against that, you know, I'm not. He went to the jockey lot, Anderson, on a Saturday, inviting people to church. Sunday morning, this dude comes, this gentleman comes, <laughs> comes into church. They say dude, I call people dudes. This guy came into church and he said, hey, how are you? I said, I'm good. I welcome him. He welcomed me before I could welcome him. I said, good to have you. He said, is so-and-so here? And I felt embarrassed for so-and-so because I knew so-and-so wasn't there. He invited a guy to church. He came to church and he didn't even show up himself. You know where he was? Jocular. Now, I don't know if he's passing out tracks again and inviting people to church, but there's something wrong with that. That's messed up. So if you connect to people and you try to win people and you sow to their lives and you invite them to church, you need to come to church and be there. Now, if they don't want you sitting next to them, that's fine. But you can sit near them <laughs> and, 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 and connect to them and, and, and acknowledge them and at least not be, this is my friend, this is my neighbor, this is my coworker. And we've seen that happen. We've had several instances of that of this year. And I appreciate you doing that. I'm just giving you some examples of what not to do if we're not doing things. We need to focus on this place is important and my presence here is important. And when I invite other people here, then I need to be here. Because what you say, well, no one ever comes, I ever invite them. It may happen the very time you decide, I just ain't going, I don't want to go. Preacher just blah, 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 same old message over and over again. They sing the same songs over and over again. You know people have those kind of excuses. You know what's wrong with those people? Something wrong with them spiritually. You can sing, heaven came down and glory filled my soul every service. And I promise you, at least for a long while, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to, I love that song. I love it. I love it. 
But sometimes I know he's like, uh, we're dying. We're, we're, it's no, it's no excitement. There's no joy. And there's no zeal. There's no energy. And I'm not telling you to be fake. Get your heart right. Get, get filled with the Spirit of God. And he said, no man cared for my soul. How can you, here's the thought. Here's one easy definition for the word cared. It means sought for or sought after. So a lot of this effort of evangelizing, if you're not, a, if you're not saying, I really am seeking you out. I want to talk to you about the Lord or invite you to church. I want to connect to you. Seek out your soul. I believe you have a living soul and you need to make sure you know you're going to heaven when you die. It connects to this verse, one, Psalms 126.5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Sowing means there's time involved. Sowing in tears means you have cried, you've wept. I've been around some of you who have wept over certain things in your life. And I wonder how long it's been since we wept over a soul. Wept over a person. Wept over a name. A family member, a neighbor, or maybe a stranger that you've met. Or a friend. A classmate. So if you sow in tears, you shall reap in joy. And it said, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. You know what the precious seed is? It's the word of God. It's the seed of the gospel. But it takes time to sow. And sometimes there's a hard heart and it just won't find a place. But sometimes people are ripe and they're ready to hear the truth of the word of God. And they receive it. And God begins to do his spiritual work of conviction and showing them their need of salvation. Boy, if a person felt like no one cared for their soul, no one cared whether they were there or not there. We say we care, but we don't show a lot of actions that we care sometimes. And if you're going to care, you've got to get involved in people's lives. And it's usually not an occasional thing, a connection. You begin to grasp a hold that people are going to die and go to hell because they're not saved. It ought to charge us and challenge our life. And that sowing in the seed of the word of God, it takes time. We want to win the soul immediately. Knock on the door. Boom, you're going to get saved. Come to church. That's not how, that's not how the Ellison crew got in. My mom was invited to church and God was already working on her. Then she came to revival and she got saved. My dad was a hard case, a lot longer to get him in. That, that church began to connect to our family and invest in us and, and do things and just, just be there. We began to go to church and people kind of adopted me in. And I know there's a lot of times they probably felt like they were wasting their time but God's grace prevailed again, and here I am, somehow preaching the gospel, a pastor. I look back where I come from, man, I just can't believe it. But it was because people cared for my soul. They cared about me. 
Used to ride when Preacher Gravy to revival meeting. He went to revival almost every night. And I rode with him and Jimmy Gravy, one of my friends. And I went to revival every night, not because I want to hear the preaching, because he's going to give me a hamburger at Hardy's. And that's why I went. Guess what happened? One day, it all came together. I heard the gospel. And I knew I had people in my life that cared about me and acknowledged that I was a person, that I mattered. And I got under conviction about that and I couldn't even, I didn't even get saved in a church or a camp meeting. I made it back home, survived, <laughs> running from God. And the Holy Spirit came to my bed where I was at in my, at, at my bedroom and began to convict me and I got saved there that night. And many of you know the date, it was May the 15th, 1989. And I'll never get over that. That's much more important than my physical birthday because that one just getting older and falling apart, but that new birth just getting better and better and better. Amen? Sister Tonda, I'd like for you to come play something for us. David said, I looked on my right hand. We're going to make it personal. I looked at brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, Mr. this, ma'am that, Mrs. this, Looked at that guy I went to school with. Said he goes to youth group. Said she goes to church. Nothing. No man would know me. Refuge failed me. And no response. No one cared for my soul. Well, if he, some of us could get, really get right, get our heart really right with God, you could win some of your family, some of your neighbors. You could win some people at work. Some of you invite. I know Matthew comes with Chad some. He sits back there with him. And some people come. It just, it don't stop. It should never stop. It should go on and on until the Lord comes back. And if a church was collectively seeking, say, Lord, what a, what a blessing to have visitors that they'd even come and I look at sometimes that's just a blessing. Anybody even stays and sits in the pew, makes it through the service, makes it through the preaching. Y'all endured another one. What a blessing it is. And know that the preaching of the, the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which believe it is the power of God. Boy, if those who are lost that don't know that the cross can save them, that message of the gospel can change your life. But if you and I that say that we're saved, if they can see his power working in our life and see that joy in our life and that light turned on in our life, maybe one day they would want it. It'd be real. Part of the problem is a lot of people who claim the name of the church, we're living just like the world sometimes worse I mean we're worse than them and we're failing them as a refuge a place that you should rely upon and we need to get our hearts right if we expect the world to get saved judgment must first begin at the house of God we need to get our house in order and get our life right and maybe we could see somebody come to the Lord Jesus and get saved every head bowed every eye closed I ask this you've ever felt like no one cared I'll tell you Jesus cares about you but I hope there's somebody in your life that's a believer that has reached out to you that has loved you and you can look and say you know they've pretty much been the same they might have been a few bumps in the road but they've pretty much been the same person always sending the same signals 
they invited me to church again. I hope that means because they care about your soul. They want you to get saved, trust the Lord as your Savior. Anybody here say, preacher, pray for me. I want to do more. I want to get closer. I want my heart right. I want to love people. I heard a great analogy. Somebody said, how, how can they love people and all the sin that people do? Well, it'd be just like if your child got a, 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 a terminal disease and you're, that child was going to die of that disease, you wouldn't hate the child. You'd hate the disease. So let's hate sin, but not the sinner. The person needs to be saved. And if they don't know the truth to get their heart right and get saved, we need to show that truth, preach that truth, live that truth. We need to pray for people. Church, if we got visitors and we got people coming, you ought to be excited. You ought to be thankful. You ought to be hungry and thirsty and pray that on any given Sunday, this could be the day because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe somebody can get saved today. Anybody here, nobody looking around, say, preacher, pray for me. I know I'm not saved, not a believer. Never, never professed or never called on the Lord to be saved. And I want you to pray for me. I want to know more about it. I don't want to push it away. I want you to pray for me. Anybody? No hands. All right, I know I, many times I didn't raise my hand. The Lord knows our heart. He knows your heart. He knows your sincerity. I pray God will deal with you and work in your heart. Anybody here say, preacher, pray. I, I want to win somebody to the Lord Jesus. I got a family member good to see hands. Got a family member. I want to see him get saved. Got a neighbor. Got a co-worker. Got a school classmate. I want to see him get saved. I want to be that part of getting my, several hands up. You can put them down. I want to be that part of getting that child, my son, my daughter, my, my friend, my husband, my wife. Get them to the cross. Get them to Jesus. Get them to church. Church, some of you are old heads, I'll, I'll call you that. You've been around this thing long enough. There used to be a day when the church really did care. Now, most people don't. Some of you are rolling your eyes. Some of you are yawning. Some of you fell asleep. Some of you are other things. Some of you probably paying Pac-Man on your cell phone. I have no idea. There used to be the day when the church cared. I remember days going in the prayer room and praying for people to get saved, praying for people. And I come out, Brother Matt, come out around there, we come out, and those people would be in the pew, Jeremy. They'd be, they came to church, and we just got through praying for them. Man, the people would weep. They'd get in the altar, and they'd cry. They'd say, God, thank you for so-and-so coming to church. Please save them. Hard to get people to care anymore. I invite you to pray in the pew where you are. Maybe come to this altar. Maybe pray on the front pew. Ask God to give you burden back. Ask the Lord to forgive you for all the people you've overlooked. All the people that crossed paths with you that felt like they didn't matter. It felt like that you didn't care. Church, if you see people that, like that around you, you need to have some compassion making a difference. In the 
if you know there are some people that are not saved and they may not get saved today or they may, that you may have invited them today and they didn't come. Or maybe you never invited them. Make that move. You know, there's a survey that came out. A survey may not mean a lot. It may not be very accurate. But to unchurched people, 82% said they would come if they were invited. I don't know how accurate that is, but it's better than zero. It's better than no one ever inviting them. Looked on my right hand. Refuge failed me. Said no man would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Father, I ask you, God, to help us have a church that cares, a church that acknowledges, a church that will preach the truth, preach the gospel. God, that you would change people's lives and save souls, that you would allow us, Lord, to be a light. Let us have that fellowship as a church body of believers worship you in spirit and in truth let no one not no one not no one could ever come in contact with our church family or come into the doors of this church and feel like no one cares